0: Hello and welcome to the Confidential Podcast where we discuss and demystify life and everything that impacts it. I'm Simone Gisandi, author, health strategist, life transformation consultant, and overall life enthusiast. I dive deep into the fascinating world of life with each show. Each episode features in-depth conversations with experts, thought leaders, as well as personal stories and experiences that will bring the world around us to life. Whether you're a curious newcomer or a passionate enthusiast, come with me on a journey of discovery and enlightenment. Tune in every week and join me as I demystify all things that touch life. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Confidential, the Divorce Edition Today, I have one of my favorite human beings as a guest, Dr. Nikos Apostolopoulos. Yes, he's a doctor, he's got a PhD. I'll let him talk about it and a master's in philosophy. Most enriching conversations I've ever had have been with him. Really preface this conversation with that. And also, he is the founder of stretch therapy and micro stretching. I'll also let him speak to that. Welcome. Dr. Apostolopoulos.
1: Oh, thank you, Detox. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that uh, wonderful introduction. Yes, uh, I actually am a PhD uh, doctor. I've actually got my Pizza Hut delivery degree in England. <laughs> uh i'm my specialty is inflammation, the inflammatory response and muscle and muscle tissue, and micro stretching that Simone mentioned is a technique that I developed back in the nineteen nineties. I can't believe it's over 30. Oh, it's thirty yeah over thirty years old uh basically doing with therapy, i'm using stretching as a a means of uh dealing with people that have inflammation, chronic back problems neck problems shoulder problems. And it's very, very gentle stretching. I And my research that got turned into a textbook by Springer Nature basically speaks to the fact that when you're doing anything with stretching, less is more. Being very gentle is very powerful. I often say to a lot of people, the greatest gain is made without pain. And micro-stretching in a nutshell is a recovery regeneration technique that actually helps the body to recover and more or less than anything, it actually uh, helps the body do what it does naturally. As therapists, we are not healers. We, this is my belief. My personal belief is that we're facilitators and we give the body the, the tools that it needs to take care of itself because that is the ultimate healer, the body itself.
0: Yeah. And I actually refer to that as we are guides. We guide people on what they can do to support the body on its journey of healing itself. And I think that we're quite aligned on that thought.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Definitely. And
0: and I also wanted uh, to tell the audience, you also work with uh, sports teams to facilitate their healing so that they can be optimal at their respective sports and to be able to perform at the highest level.
1: Yes, I have worked uh, in the past and continue in the present to work with sports teams, sports federations. I have worked with uh, a lot of teams in the NBA uh, and the NHL as well, uh, English Premier League as well. And uh, my latest stint was working with the Hungarian national track and field team. And if anybody wants uh, a beautiful place to go and see and spend some romantic time uh with themselves because come on now the only person that you're really married to is yourself Uh,
0: self-love self-love
1: self-love that's it and uh budapest i highly recommend budapest don't say budapest it's budapest beautiful city beautiful well it's actually two cities Buddha and pest i loved my time there hope to go back soon um yep uh it would be definitely, you should have that on your bucket list, for sure.
0: Uh, Dr. Apostolopoulos is actually of Greek descent. So it's extraordinary that he looks at Budapest, uh, which is one of my neighbors from my home country, as a place to go see. Especially in light of the fact that he comes from the places of the Greek gods, Mykonos, <laughs> things that you know are probably the most spectacular to visit. But I guess that's uh, for you. Being your home country, you've been there, you've grown up there. You know what it's all about.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Um, I I didn't grow up there. Simone didn't know this about me. I was born in Canada, but I've actually lived in Greece. I used to row for the Greek national team and uh, love the country. Um, if somebody were to say to me, "How can you dis- how- What sentence would define Greece?" I've often said is where nature has fully expressed itself. It is the most beautiful country in the world. And I'm not being biased because I'm Greek, but it's been said by a lot of other people, romanticists, dramatists, wherever you want to call it, uh, you know, heroic writers like uh, Homer. They all, they've all loved that place. It, it is worth, worth uh, spending some time in Greece for sure. Yeah.
0: Yes. Santorini and Mykonos
1: especially. Santorini, Mykonos, the islands. I lived on Crete for four months. Highly recommend Crete. It's the biggest of the Greek islands. And there's lots to do on that island. Very much. Uh, Love that place. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, That should be on your bucket list too. Uh, Mm -hmm. And for the audience, because I'm sure you're all wondering, why are we talking about micro stretching and uh, Budapest and Mykonos and Santorini when this show is about divorce? Uh, The reason why I've asked Dr. Apostolopoulos, even though I should refer to him as Nikos because he's my friend, um, the reason why I asked him to come on the show is because his story is quite unique. He shared it with me and I think it's worthwhile sharing with the audience just so that we could see the full spectrum of what divorce, uh, like how many lives it can touch and from how many walks of life people come that have been touched by divorce, to what depth and in which way it affected them personally, as as well as their career, path of life, so on and so forth. So, Nikos, I'm wondering, tell us, how did you get being such an achieved man, quite the catch, everybody, he stands over six feet tall, quite handsome.
1: Oh, my ladies. God. You know, I paid her for this. <laughs> Checks in the mail. <laughs>
0: He did not pay me for this. Um, uh, Tell us, how did you get to the point of divorce, especially in light of the fact that you had such a great life path ahead of you, having had these incredible educational achievements, the business that you developed, that you referred to working with such uh, high profile teams? I can't see anybody being... um, not wanting to be with a man like you?
1: Well, you know, I think the most important thing that we have to keep in mind is when two people come together, what are the facts that bring them together? What are the circumstances that bring them together? Mine was, what do you mean you're pregnant?
0: (laughs) That's quite the beginning.
1: (laughs) That is quite the beginning. No, we'll backtrack a bit further than that. Yes, please Uh, preface it for us. Sorry?
0: I said, please preface it for us. Yes.
1: No, I met Louise, my uh, former partner, um, in the 1990s uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia. And uh, it was uh, was one-sided. I fell in love with her. And it was more or less me trying to convince her that you know um, about my love for her and about my admiration for her and eventually that happened um, and we got together but we were never been married we were a common law marriage so I don't know if you people know in British Columbia if you live with somebody for more than six months it's considered common law So we were together for 16, 17 years, and we have two lovely kids. Uh, I'm a granddad right now, twice over, which is great. So uh, that's my eldest daughter, Thalia, Thalia Sophia, and my youngest daughter's name is Justine. They're both in their late 20s, early 30s, like your children as well, Simone. They're getting up there. That's right. And uh, what... Led to the divorce was the fact that coming from a Greek background or a Greek family for us, the one thing that you uh, is instilled in us is hard work and trying to provide for your family. And I think what happened with me um, I am an achiever and continue to achieve it got in the way. I can honestly say it got in the way and it uh I was all consumed about developing the technique and developing the whole concepts and principles behind the technique of micro stretching I was traveling a lot and it basically took away from my family my family life uh my kids um Uh, I'll give you a classic example, which I'm not too proud of throughout the, uh, let's say, 52 weeks in the year. uh, 50 weeks would be spent on traveling and working with patients and and really not nurturing my time with my kids. And that is something that I'm not proud of. But the two weeks that I was with my kids uh, when we used to go to holidays, you couldn't pull me apart from those kids. So it was a combination of me being married, married to my career, married to my path. And I'm sure this is common with uh, with a lot of uh, things that happen. The one thing that I have often said and I continue to say to a lot of people is when people get together sometimes, um, what is it that brings them together? And literally for me, it was one-sided. I fell in love with Louise and I tried to convince her. And it basically, there has to be a mutual agreement amongst people. They have to basically sit there and really, really. And the other thing I need to say, which is very, very important. And I think, I don't mind sharing this. Is I came from uh, a family where um, you really didn't get to express your emotions. You know, mm-hmm. it's the Greek family. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing, too, is oh I man, God rest my dad's soul. He's a great person. I mean, you got to realize that these immigrant parents, when they come over from Europe, they come over with a goal and a purpose to actually make a better life for their families and That's right. you can't take that away from my mother and my dad. They did the best they could and a bar a a lot of that also has to do with the fact that they are somewhat not in a not in a mean way but they're abusive in the sense of trying to push you hard thinking you know the old saying that says uh, spare the rod spoil the child type of thing their whole mentality was I'm here I'm working hard I work two jobs I've bought a house all I want you to do is to be able to do well in school and if you don't do well you don't get I mean you get somewhat uh, chastised for not forming well and it just basically puts a, a feeling of low self-esteem. I had low self-esteem. And this is something that I continue to, to carry with me, even though I, it's so funny, like Simone and I have known each other for several years. But um, low self-esteem is something that continues to plague me. And I try to work through it because it's basically it's a lifestyle. And it's not easy, but – so I think because of that low self-esteem, the tendency for me to overachieve is is great. So I'm overachieving. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And so I also need to basically let the audience know, which is very, very important, is prior to meeting Louise – I actually had a motor vehicle accident where I was hit by a car in Vancouver. I was actually training with my coach at the time because I was trying to make the um, track and field um, team for Canada for the 92 Barcelona games. And this was back in 1989. So let's sort of put two pieces of the puzzle together, low self-esteem, the need to try to prove things to people as an overachiever and then an accident so it's three pieces so the accident itself i was knocked out left unconscious for 5 minutes woke up and developed this thing called traumatic brain injury tbi which is a lifelong thing you live with it and it's basically your brain has been it's it's hard concussion is what it is so the one problem with Actually, the the combination of low self esteem and having a brain injury is that you can't handle a lot of stress in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, because TBI, traumatic brain injury, as I said earlier, the problem is it affects your serotonin levels. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the one thing that you got to keep in mind is. If two people go to sleep and they wake up in the morning, the person that has not had a brain injury, their serotonin level is one full cup. The person that's had a TBI brain injury, their uh, serotonin level is half a cup. Mm. So by the time you get to the afternoon, because we've exposed our bodies to a lot of stresses, the half a cup is empty. The full cup is half a cup. So, you can still continue handling a lot of stress. Well, by the time I am at the empty cup, then what do you do? Your body automatically resorts to using cortisol. Stress So, hormone. now, the stress hormone. Exactly. So, the ability to comprehend and be able to handle everyday things is removed from you. It's a lot more difficult. Right. Okay? So... Having said that, and I don't know how many people out there that are listening that have been divorced or are divorced or going through divorce, it's a stressful time in your life. And with me, I had the added bonus of having this brain injury. So um, that and sort of, how do you say, in combination of low self-esteem is really hard to uh, ask of a lot of people in marriages to stay in marriage mm-hmm. and um inevitably i mean the writing was on the wall uh we divorced you know but the one thing i also want to say to the audience out there is divorce is never one sided either so that's right people have got to realize that you can't when you're going through divorce, you can't take the blame outside of yourself and always manifest it on the other person. You have as much to contribute to divorce as in my case, myself. Yes, I had low self-esteem, had a traumatic brain injury, grew up in a Greek family that was very, very hard on me. And my ex-wife, Or I, and I don't like the word exes. My Louise, we'll call her Louise. Louise grew up in a very affluent family. Her father was a medical doctor, mother was a nurse. You know, they grew up uh, in a very sort of supported British upbringing. And that, in combination with a a crazy Greek, was, uh, I say, uh, it had a lot of issues between. Uh, Louise and myself. And one of the biggest things was the constant comparison of how I grew up in my family and how Louise grew up. So the, the,
0: the cultural differences,
1: the cultural differences were huge,
0: right?
1: You know, huge cultural differences. And uh, I don't blame her for it. But that's what it was. And like I said, when <laughs> Simone said about, you know, uh, divorce and stuff like this, how did it all start off? It all started off with, yeah, Louise got pregnant. <laughs> you know, because well,
0: so so that was what kind of brought you together. Correct. And then Correct. the divorce. What was the the actual catalyst of the divorce? From what I gathered from the the story you just told, you did not have or did not invest time to create the bond and strengthen the bond with your family, and that would probably mean with Louise. Mm -hmm. I I will abstain from calling her your ex-wife too, (laughs) since you're not too fond of that word. Um, So that means that you and Louise did not have the opportunity to strengthen the bond and connect on a deeper level, to be able to maintain the marriage, to be able to maintain the relationship. And in turn, and I see a lot of this and with many people that I've spoken with, both men and women when you divert your attention. And I think overall in life, and please tell me if correct me if I'm wrong. I mean your PhD. Um soon to be twice PhD, by the way. Um when you when you dedicate and focus on when you dedicate yourself uh and your energy and you focus and um stay on a path and yours was to get Uh, PhD, your PhD, and I'm sure you had to go through the stages because you go from a bachelor to a master's to a PhD.
1: So the thing is, I need to sort of back up a bit, Simone. My PhD was actually done uh, after Louise and I separated. Okay, because and that's a very important thing. What drove me was the fact that I developed a new technique microstretching and stretch therapy are new techniques in the realm of rehabilitation and um it was an uphill battle i was constantly rolling the rock up the uh the mountain like sisyphus having to prove myself over and over again to uh Athletic trainers, physiotherapists, uh, medical doctors working with these sports teams, I would solve problems that a lot of them couldn't solve and so it became all consuming again remember, I had the TBI traumatic brain injury I had this whole sort of uh, drive that I wasn't good enough. I kept trying to and still this to this day, that drive is still there where I'm trying to constantly prove things, constantly prove things. Cause I'd like to tell the audience out there, I didn't start my PhD until the age of 51, 52.
0: Mm, okay. So, did you have uh, to did you have to prove yourself or your worth for that matter? Because I know that that I think most European people, myself included, grew up in that sort of environment where you have to prove your worth to your parents. Always. Do, did you have to do that with Louise? Did you have to prove your worth with Louise? Did, or did she accept you for who you were?
1: She did not accept me for who I, whom I am. And let's the truth be told. I was, again, the big cultural differences. She would often say, why can't you be more like my dad? Or, oh. you know, um, like, for instance, in a Greek household, the traditional Greek household you would never have your dad come to your bedroom and read you a bedtime story.
0: That's right. <laughs> it
1: just doesn't happen.
0: That's right.
1: You know, <laughs> go to bed. Okay, see you later. Good night. See you in the morning. Well, in her household, her father, and and, and you know, I hate to say this, but it's also a matter of education. Uh, when parents are educated at and this is, again, we need to paraphrase here. This is in the past, because the way I see parents nowadays who are very educated, they really don't have time for their kids, mothers and father, where in the past, they had time for their kids. They made that time for their kids, which is very important. So, so Louise's dad, Peter, used to go into their bedrooms and uh, read them their bedtime stories, and That's which amazing. is something which is something that was foreign to me. Right. Right. So it'd be this constant comparison wasn't really, really uh, fair for me. Um, I wasn't really accepted for whom I am. I often used to say to people, it's kind of funny. If you looked at the pecking order, it'd be Thalia, Justine, Georgie, our dog, the newt, the fish, the hamster, <laughs> and then it would be me. You know? And
0: then Nikos. Where was, where was Louise
1: at uh, the very top? Well, Louise is actually the, the the person who's creating that hierarchy, right? Uh, of course. And I, I, I like to say that Louise has been has, and continues to be a great mother. So that's the one blessing that came out of this whole divorce thing is that she was a very, very supportive mother. Not a spouse, but a supportive mother. And you really can't, I mean, that's really good for the kids. So, But the one thing that I also want to say to the audience that have gone through a divorce and are looking to get into a relationship again, take your time. Mm. Get to know yourself again. Because anytime you're in a relationship, you lose a little part of yourself. And you have to find that part. Of yourself again. I think a lot of people make these mistakes. I haven't been, and I, I have no problem sharing this. The last time I've actually was in a relationship was 2016, September, 2016. Right. So I've spent the last seven years, basically, not in a full-fledged relationship and trying to Find out whom I am because I made that mistake myself. After Louise, six months later, I'm with another person. And what was interesting, what was so interesting about Louise and Don, Don's the other person, (laughs) is they were very similar.
0: Oh, you attracted the same person with a different face. Correct. I see. And that happens, that happens
1: because of whom. I was or who at the time, and this was brought to my attention by a really good friend of mine, Robert Kenny, and uh, because I had just broken up with Don and I went and talked with Robert, and Robert asked me very, very poignant questions, and it came out that I basically attracted another Louise in my life. And there's nothing wrong with Louise. Louise is a great person. She's been with her partner now for years. But the issue is, and the issue I had, the questions I had to ask myself is, what is it about me that attracts that type of person in my life? Very important, very important. And that is based on your belief system. Of who you believe you are, that's right. If you're not good enough, uh, uh, you you don't really, really love yourself. Uh, nothing is really nothing really satisfies you. These are traits that basically are put out there subconsciously, and you will attract that type of person into your life. so, what I did um, is Robert suggested I do this thing called A Course in Miracles. Oh. Okay. A Course in Miracles is a book that uh, is a very thick book. I mean, I I don't know where it is on my shelf. Yes. But um, the history behind the whole thing about The Course in Miracles is breaking down our ego or not breaking down our ego, realizing that the ego that that, that thing, that belief of whom we think we are really doesn't exist. That thing is a fabrication created by what other people said about you. That you believed. And then you took it in and believed it. i.e. your parents, i.e. your teachers, i.e. your coaches, uh, your best friends, your peers. So based on that sort of interaction you start creating this nico nico is this but it's actually false that's right it doesn't really exist we are born divine i'm christian that's as far as my preaching goes because my daughters are agnostic or atheist and doesn't mean i love them any less i love them a lot you know, each person has their own belief systems. So in my belief system, you know, I um, am a Christian. And so the Course in Miracles, and the reason why I say this is Christ consciousness. It's Christ speaking, it was speaking through a, I think her name was Shukman. She was a, psychi- a psychotherapist at Columbia, yes. I think Columbia University or hospital or something like this. And she woke up one day and this voice kept talking in the back of her head, kept talking in the back of her head. So she went to her um, supervisor and basically told him, you know, am I going crazy and stuff like this? So he said, well, why don't we write it down? So 1500 pages later, A Course in Miracles was born. Yes. You know, and the thing about The Course in Miracles is it's questioning your belief system.
0: And did that help you? It did. And tell tell us how how did that help
1: you? Because I started questioning, uh, and like I said earlier, I'm still struggling with the idea of you know how do you say proving things to people. But I've also realized that it's all created through me. It's in my head. That's right you know so where am i going with this story this is where i'm going with this story when a person meets another person if that person is looking outside of themselves yes to basically have the other person fulfill whom they are and i'm telling you right now that's wrong
0: and everybody does it I of course
1: everybody does that. Yeah, of course it. everybody does that.
0: I mean I wish I don't know you at least had people to talk to but I mean during the time that you and the you and um Louise Louise were were divorcing um did you have anybody that advised you cuz I didn't and I wish I had because I would not have rushed to be with someone else thinking that that's just a natural progression and I'm whole and I'm fine and I'm dandy And I had no idea the depth of what divorce actually does after you built a life. I think that people really misjudge the importance and the significance of what you build with someone else, especially with someone that you create life with. Mm-hmm. Create mm-hmm. only the creator creates. So when we do create children, we are godlike, we are mm-hmm. creating life, and that's huge. Mm-hmm. So you have a certain bond and a certain connection to that person by virtue of that. So when you rush to another relationship without having cleared up or gotten over or detached yourself fully from that previous relationship, it hits you like a tidal wave.
1: Well, you know, the issue is. If we look at human life, we know we're all going to die. We're all going to go there. It's not physical. We're talking physical, not physical talking spiritual. Death. We're talking yes. clinical death. Yes. More people are afraid. They're not afraid of that because they know it's an, it's an inevi- 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 inevitability. Inevitability, yes. Inevitability. People are afraid of being alone. More than death. Yes. That's right. People are afraid of being alone. So people will look outside of themselves to try to fulfill that loneliness quickly.
0: I think people look outside of themselves for so many reasons. I I actually chatted with a friend of mine today who said, literally, I will let the lawyers address this. So my question to this person was... Why do you put the power outside of yourself onto another person to come and rescue you and to solve your problems when you are fully equipped, especially because you yourself have been in this relationship to know the traits of your significant other, your spouse and your own, and be able to put together a plan of action on how to approach the situation and how to come to resolution And yet you not only pay financially, monetarily, someone else who has never met you, doesn't know you, doesn't know the intricacies of the relationship that you and your spouse had. And yet you look outside of yourself where there's the least amount of power that you have, or you take the power out from yourself and you place it in the hands of that other person. So I think we all do that. So I started to Try to guide people to make them understand from my own mistakes and the inevitable pain that I felt. But yes, I think that people, and please correct me if I'm wrong, or at least tell me how you feel about this, having gone through it yourself. I was afraid of coming face to face with my demons, with my pain, with myself when I rushed to another relationship with someone else, thinking that that is going to. Solve me. your issues, yes, or or help me get through it or forget about the pain and that I was just gonna, you know, continue on with life and there was gonna just be the progression of life and that's just gonna be a blip on the continuum.
1: First and foremost, the one thing that we got to realize is that the emotional hormones that are going through your body are ramped up hugely.
0: That's right.
1: And a lot of people can only handle so much of that stress, the cortisols, the, the, the adrenaline that's going through your body. You can only handle so much. So why we give power to other people is because we are trying to survive. Mm-hmm. I think we're trying to survive to... I tell, when Louise and I... When Louise left me with the kids... Um, to me, I was exhausted. Um, and then I would have all these sort of dialogues in my head to try to come to grips with what actually happened. And I would be angry about her and, you know, and I'd use expletives to describe her and stuff like this. I am trying to basically grasp at anything to try to find some semblance of, uh, calmness. Wow. So when, you know, we're in that state, I, I kid you not, I am not a drinker. Simone knows me. I, last time I had a glass of wine was I'd harbor to say four or five years ago. Um, and, uh, a friend of mine took me in for two weeks, Victor Adair. love the guy to death. He's one of my best friends. He lives in Vancouver. Victor Adair is a very accomplished business person. He does the uh, uh, Victor Adair Report. Um, he's also been on, uh, I think it's uh, Business News Network. Really a good guy. I kid you not, in order for me to fall asleep... I would be, <laughs> I'd be drinking like half a bottle of bloody wine myself.
0: Oh, geez.
1: But that's to numb my pain.
0: Yes. I'm so glad you said that because I, and people do different things. It's very multifactorial. Mm. Different people have different things that they turn to, to numb themselves.
1: Yes. And Those emotions are yes. roller coasters, yes. and you are you are trying to find ways of trying to quiet them.
0: That's right. The thoughts, the oh, the, 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 thoughts. the constant poking, the pain that comes, and you don't have it in you anymore. Especially in light of the fact that it was the same for me. I had a full time job, and you had to show up and perform. At 100%. I had
1: patience.
0: Yes. I had patience. Life doesn't care. Nature doesn't care. Your employer doesn't care. Your friends even. They care to a degree, but how much do they care to actually listen to you 24-7 bitch and complain about it? So imagine how much that takes out of you. Regular life where you're expected to be on your A game, function at 100%, and yet you're also carrying this. So a lot of times... People turn to bottles of various alcoholic beverages, such as what you just described, Uh, painkillers, street drugs, um, gambling.
1: So then you got to actually sit back and forgive yourself. And what do I mean by that? Because you jumped into another relationship because you were trying to find ways of dealing with that, that constant chatter in your head. That, that thing that would like I would finish having dinner with Victor and then I'd go to bed and like clockwork. I don't know what it is with me, but when I'm going through a lot of stress, even nowadays, when I'm going through a lot of stress, three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, I am up like a cabana, which is a Greek word for like a bell Bing, and I'm up. <laughs> I'm up and I've, and the problem is that now when you're up, that thing comes in the back of your head.
0: Yep. The monkey, the monkey starts to chatter.
1: Uh, So we do try to find ways. I mean, and again, people people try to find ways and means of being able to stop that chatter. All I can say to a lot of people is that are going through a divorce right now, it does get easier. It's hard to believe. Yes. It's hard to really see, you know, but it does get easier. It does because eventually the hormones start collapsing and you start getting more into a a flatter wave. Like
0: a rhythm, yeah, so there uh, your body goes more into a state of homeostasis at some point,
1: but the one thing I will say to everybody out there is, get yourself a routine
0: yes, i so I call that structure, and that's what I always tell people: get mm. yourself into a structure, and because especially for you because you obviously don't, you were and on the rowing team as you mentioned and you worked with athletes um the one of the best antidepressants one of the best things people can do is exercise so aerobic get,
1: exercise
0: that's right so if you can get yourself into a gym and if need be work out with someone else so that they can drag you there so that you're not going to talk yourself out of it that will be the best antidepressant that you can take to get yourself on the path to healing
1: and believe Barna. And believe this, you are not alone and you're not the first and you definitely won't be the last. Oh,
0: yes. I mean, just because if you look at the divorce rate, so the the truth is staring us in the face and the the divorce rates are out there. Imagine if people were to die from divorce, then half the population (laughs) of the world would be dead by now, (laughs) because what are the divorce rates over 50 percent now, I think. So imagine 50% of people would die from divorce. We've all survived. Even higher, before. actually. I
1: think it's closer to sixty-five, seventy. 70.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's and you know- what,
1: and that's, you know, and again, it goes back to what I was starting off earlier when I said that a lot of people, when they meet somebody, and as you uh, sort of supported what I was saying, is... They look outside of themselves to find answers. So, you know, I met this great person. Oh, my God, this person completes me. This person just makes me feel like I'm a million bucks. This person, this person, this person. The real person that matters, folks, is yourself. Yes. When you feel good about yourself, when you love yourself, and, and more importantly, when you forgive yourself, we don't forgive ourselves a lot. We do not give ourselves the time and the opportunity to forgive ourselves for what has gone on. We tend to blame ourselves. We tend to, uh, why was I such an idiot? Why didn't I do this? Why couldn't I have done that? What's so hard about me telling this person that I truly love them. Or, you know, why didn't I get them flowers? Why, 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 why? And we're constantly, constantly berating and hurting ourselves and putting ourselves down and punishing, punishing ourselves. We need to forgive ourselves. And I'm not just saying this for your audience to hear that. No, even for for me, that
0: is, that's probably the biggest piece of advice for me, because I beat my the crap out of myself, emotionally, mentally,
1: Mm -hmm. And sometimes
0: physically, because I put myself through very rigorous stuff in the gym, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. only to punish myself because I wanted to pay for my mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I felt that once I did that, I would actually get it out of my system and then I could move on. But it became such an addictive thing. I was like, well, that's not enough. Well, I should do more. Well, I should that. Like the depth of what I did is not commensurate with what I just went through right now. So I haven't paid enough. I should just do more. Um, and to also speak to what you said, like what, when when we look at what we call falling in love, it's, it's such a, if you really dissect it, and I know that as a deep thinker that you are, especially with your background of how much research you've done for your PhD and all of your other um, educational achievements, it's so egoic because it. this, what you were talking about is like this wanting and needing. So you become addicted to the other person or to the image you have of that person. It's
1: the image. That's I, right. and you know, it works flip side like this. So when people are in relationships and one person says to you, I love you a lot, but I'd love you even better if you did this. That's right. They actually have an image of whom they really want to be with.
0: Yes. Because if you think no. about it, love and it like the, the the entire idea of love is whole. There's no need. There would be no need. There would be no conditions. There would mm-hmm. be nothing, no wanting of any kind So you would never expect the other person to do X, Y, or Z to qualify for your love, for you to love them or yourself. And the same thing for ourselves, just like I didn't love myself because I kept saying, well, no, I should pay a little bit more. And then afterwards I'll feel better. And I would have paid my dues and my karma and I'm done. And then I could feel better and move on with with my life and I'll be okay. Um,
1: But this is a belief system that also has been engendered from how you grew up as well. I'm not oh. saying I don't know your parents or you know, I don't know your family background, but I know for me uh, the fact that we're not good enough is always something that is in the back of your head. So how do you deal with a person who doesn't feel that they're good enough? Well, you try to try to figure out ways and means of trying to make yourself good enough. And it's always this constant running on a hamster's wheel it never stops and i think what people have to do and this is not me giving people advice this is me giving myself advice is you have to take these moments and i know this is going to be very hard but you need to take these moments to really be in pure silence
0: oh the greatest because that's
1: that's When you start really learning the depth of whom you are. That's right. But we don't. We don't. Because we are in so much pain that the noise, the noise is so loud that we have to find ways and means of trying to calm it down. And I'm telling you right now, my the one thing that calmed me down. So when Mm -hmm. Louise and I separated. I initially tried to find answers as well as to to try to calm myself down so I did kudampa buddhism and I met some really nice people there but that didn't ring true within me and then following that I went into zazen which is sitting meditation it's the japanese form of meditation mm that didn't sit well with me either even though i had some benefits but what sit home sat home with me is the familiarity of my religion That's and then i went to a greek or a russian orthodox church i'm greek orthodoxy uh the russian the orthodoxy as as a faith is about 300 million people in the world of which 200 million are russian <laughs> <laughs> and, I didn't know uh, they had
0: the biggest slice of the pie. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But the thing is, I went to a place which had some familiarity. Mm. Even though I couldn't speak Russian, the service was the same.
0: And that felt comforting? It did. Okay.
1: So I went and found my comfort through something that was... Like I have, I, have nothing to, I have nothing to hide here. I actually wanted to be a priest, and then I discovered women, so that was the end of that one. <laughs> you know, but God
0: created us created us too, you know?
1: I know, no, but I'm saying discovered women, meaning that, you know what, there goes my priesthood. Um, <clears throat> I went to a place where I was comforted comforted from a spiritual point of view as well. Yes. Um, because there's a thing by St. John of the cross, it's called the dark night of the soul. And I'm telling oh. you right now, the dark night of the soul yes. is something that we all go through in various forms and means and ways about it. And it's basically, you starting to question your spirituality, you start to question your wholeness, you start to question whom you are. So I, Part of what leads to people going through divorce is also, I think, that people get to a stage where they are questioning the spirituality. They start questioning what is it about them that whom they are. And I honestly think that that's another reason why people divorce as well, because they finally wake up. Oh. Yep. And they see
0: what do you mean by wake up? Wake up from they
1: start uh, what I mean by waking up is I mean is that they start getting to know themselves for the very first time.
0: So you wake up from slumber and you get to come face to face with yourself to see who you are, and then you want to explore. That's right. And I have to say. With regards to the dark night of the soul because I think everybody uh, bar none, it's the rite of passage when you go oh, especially yeah. when you go through divorce and as painful as it is, mm-hmm. I am so grateful for it. We would mm-hmm. not trade it for anything mm-hmm. because we come to be who we are by virtue of the fact that we went through that dark night of the soul. so and-
1: hence why it's important again, I'm not fall fall uh, uh, how do you say? Um, accusing you or accusing a lot of people who jump into relationships quickly, I did the same thing you know six mm-hmm. months later, I was with somebody else mm-hmm. um a first and foremost, forgive yourself, and b the thing that you've got to keep in mind is that um that's when you need to take the time to really get to know yourself again, yes, yeah, those pieces that have been basically ripped away from you because of the divorce are pieces that were part of you at one time and wrongly or falsely or whatever, you need to start getting those back. So you're building Humpty Dumpty again. You fell (laughs) off the wall and now you're building Humpty Dumpty up again. You need to basically get those pieces back And take the time to truly make sure those pieces gel. And that's why you need to take the time to get to know yourself again. Because, uh huh. Do you
0: feel? I I remember looking back, and of course, I only came to this realization once I had the time to do the exploration. Who I was when I met my ex husband, met who I was when I dated him, who I was when I became his wife were different people. And when I got to the divorce part, when the marriage started falling apart, completely different person, I had transformed and grown and kind of come into myself. And I came to realize and recognize things about myself that were not there years prior when we just got together. And I think that, and I hear this all the time, oh, but you've changed we We resist change to such a degree because a lot of times I think we feel the pain because we want the familiarity of what was once. Mm-hmm. and we we feel its absence to the degree that we would do anything to go back to that place of comfort, even though the necessity of growth and evolution is so huge so Mm -hmm. that you can become who you are meant to become. Otherwise, and we could see this in every culture around the world. It's not something that's exclusive to any culture or any race for that matter either. Um, People stay in marriages and they're unhappy. There are many people who are married. I think the divorce rate would probably be in the 90s if people who were to be truthful come face to face with the fact that we don't belong together anymore because we've grown in different directions and at different rates, and we shouldn't be together, but we stay together because culturally we're expected to. Um, we and now the big want-
1: one nowadays is financial.
0: Financial, that's right. Or the shame. Mm. Yep, that's right. But if you stay together for financial reasons, but you pay through your energy. Mm. It's just not. Well, you
1: know, nowadays, I think younger and younger kids' generations, they're, they're not going down that road of marriage. I think they're more like, hey, let's see if we can cohabitate.
0: And to a certain degree, I actually think that's probably a better approach, mm-hmm. especially when you look at the vast legalities around divorce and oh, marriage too i huge. mean when you have to have a license to get married and then afterwards you have to wait for a court system to give you the stamp that says you're now free and clear and you can go and seek another relationship <laughs> because that that's um, important to a lot of people i i always say when i meet men i'm terrified i do not want to get involved with married men I do not want to be known as a homewrecker because some woman's going to say, well, he's still technically my husband and you stole him. So it's like, no, thank you. Please be fully divorced if you're going to pursue me. Um, Mm -hmm. So so those are important factors to recognize that we are different people. And you can only do that much like you said, through that self-exploration, through taking that time when your relationship has fallen apart or your marriage has fallen apart to really get to know yourself, who you are at that juncture and who you were before. I did a lot of that. And it's in my book. For those of you that don't know, I wrote a book about it. It's on Amazon. It's called against medical advice because it's, it so happens. And Nikos was talking about the fact that he had that accident. I had a stroke at 35 mm. as I was going through my divorce, which was, again, speaks very much to the stress you talk of and how the oh, body yeah. just could not handle it. True. Um, because I had no, no, no uh, medical reasons that were no symptoms. I was thin, I had good blood pressure, I was very athletic, ate really well. Um, so there were no reasons for me to have a stroke at such a young age, but I was under extreme, extreme stress, stress especially trying to carry the full-time job, keep it all together while everything was falling apart in my household. So it's important to really get to know yourself. And that was when I finally got to know myself after Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. fact. Um, It took me a long time. And I think I still am working on the forgiveness part. Oh, we will
1: always, you know, the the other thing that I also want to say to the audience out there, it's, it's also not forgiving yourself, but you have to find it within yourself to forgive the other person and you're not forgiving them for their sake, You're forgiving them for your sake, because if you don't, you'll always be attached.
0: I'll tell you. And and I don't know. This is probably as a result of my upbringing. um, And I could speak to that very quickly. I actually had an easier time forgiving him than I had like to this Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We've been we've been divorced since, I, what, 2012. So it's now over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And. I still have not fully forgiven myself. I oh, forgave of him a long you time. You will always
1: be hard on yourself.
0: We're great friends. The kids love it. The kids have you know thrived. I mean, my both my kids have excellent marks. The older one graduated with honors from university. So they thrived because we took the stress away from them. But yes, I forgave him. We're great friends. We have a great relationship but I have not fully forgiven myself. And I still mm. am hard on myself many times mm. because I look back on what I did, even though I consciously recognize that I'm not that person anymore, consciously. Mm. Right. Um, And I had trouble even with the whole idea of marriage. And I went into it that way because my parents had an atrocious marriage. So I did mean, mine. I mean, it was
1: But that's the European, that was the European mentality back then. You know, you got together to procreate, have kids, and that's it. There was no nurturing, any emotional nurturing of the children.
0: Nothing, nothing, not even guidance for us children because they were so busy fighting. They weren't even able to be parents to me and my brother because they were always fighting. If two people on the face of the planet should never, ever ever under any circumstances have gotten together it was my father yeah but i'm glad
1: they did because you have you and your brother
0: yes but i'll tell you
1: you you know i know what you're saying it's true it's true
0: because you know why because we carry the trauma of course our respective
1: and that trauma that trauma does not that trauma does not happen outside of the body it happens within the body your mother's carrying you And your brother inside her womb and you are being traumatized at the same time
0: that's right and actually you're probably familiar especially because you lived in vancouver and dr gabor mate Mm -hmm. um, who also loves budapest by the way
1: gabor mate is in budapest right now i think he's living there he's Um, he's hungarian
0: he is hungarian and he so I, i learned about him when i was going through my studies And he has actually done extensive work on trauma and addiction and what happens to people who have been traumatized and what ends up happening to people who have been traumatized. And he spoke at large about this. And I know that, yes, exactly. It gets passed on while you're in the womb. You're already kind of programmed with the trauma. So that's what I took into my marriage. And I'm sure my ex-husband also took his own trauma into into our marriage as well. And the lessons that we learned from watching our parents, especially in the first seven years of our lives, when we get programmed to see life through the eyes and become, we, we get our personalities developed. Um, and I came to the table in the marriage with very, and I don't want to say thick walls because I think I became very more masculine than feminine, even though I'm a woman, because I felt like I needed to constantly protect myself. mm mm-hmm. And so, of course, that alone affected me and my hard shell and my exterior to always constantly keep myself protected because of what was happening in our family. And the um, and I'm sure you understand coming from Europe as well, the good old fashioned beatings that us Europeans (laughs) got from our parents when we misbehaved or, you know, were disobedient, Yep. And made any minor mistake.
1: So, how can you not not sit back and think why you're punishing yourself?
0: Exactly. What else have I learned? Exactly. What else have I learned? Bad
1: Simone, bad Nico, bad, 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 bad. You know, um, I'm recently going through some as you and, and divorce, guys, does not have to be a marriage relationship. divorce divorce has many, many faces. Uh, partnerships, uh, business partnerships,
0: friendships,
1: friendships, that's That's divorce in itself. And, uh, I've been recently going through, uh, uh, a business sort of transaction that uh, thankfully it's, we're almost done. But the thing is, uh, I would be, even though,
0: (sighs) I'd like to take a quick break now to let you know that today's show is sponsored by my book Against Medical Advice. This book is a memoir, and it tells the story of how I built my life back after suffering a stroke during my divorce. I discuss the nutritional, lifestyle, and mindset aspects that I put into practice to regain my health and rebuild my life. The book has been a labor of love, both writing it and publishing it, and I couldn't be more proud of it please pick up your copy from Amazon. For your very own signed copy, my email address is simone at Oh, and I'd really appreciate it if you would please consider leaving a review once you've read the book. And now, back to the show.
1: Um, I would know consciously that I am not the person that basically led to all this I would find excuses to blame myself because that's how I grew up. It's my fault, my fault, my fault, when it's actually not. So your upbringing plays a big, big factor into how you handle any type of separation. It doesn't have to be marital.
0: Which is why it's so important to do that self-exploration work to really recognize your own traits triggers, what you, um, how you respond versus how you react, because you, pro- you will probably do both, especially yeah. in the beginning, knee jerk reaction. And so what you you have given so much advice about what people should do, the biggest of which is to really take the time after you're the get get you get to know yourself, because yeah. once you get
1: to know yourself, once you go into that deep, deep space, and I'm talking There's a really good book that I would recommend for everybody to read. It has nothing to do with relationships, but it has something to do with the deepest love that we've all forgotten. And that's pure silence.
0: And why do you call that love? Silence. Right. But you said that that's the deepest love.
1: Yeah. The deepest love is silence. 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 Really get to know silence, because that's when you get to know yourself. I'll show, Um, uh, just give me a sec, give me a sec.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly say, because I know for myself, I always, 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 for me, and I've said this to many people, even at night when I sleep, I have to have some sort of noise, and I usually... Oh, that's tend-
1: just so funny you should say that, because... This yes. is headphones. No, yes. it's actually uh, construction headphones.
0: Right. To keep, to keep the silence so that you don't hear outside noises.
1: I go to sleep with this. Why? Because I want to listen to my heart.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. See, for me, this is what I was trying to say. <laughs> I feel like silence, and this is the best way for me to articulate it. Silence is deafening to me.
1: Ah. But, you know, there's a book that I'm going to recommend. It's called by uh, Erleg Kange. Uh, Let me pull it up. Uh, It's called Silence in the Age of Noise. Oh. Yes. a very interesting topic. Yes, it is. Because this guy, uh, Age of Noise. But
0: on the flip side, I like uh sounds of nature, especially. Oh, for sure,
1: sounds of nature are good, but yes, what what true silence? Like, here's another book I'm reading right now. I just started reading it,
0: and and even for you, you have uh you want to hear the sound of your heart. So it's not complete silence. You are no, listening to it's something. The
1: silence of going deep within yourself. Your heart is part of you. It's deep right. within you, right? that's getting to your core. Right. And that only way, why do you think meditation is out there? Why people meditate? It's they meditate. And what, what is the one thing that they tell people when they meditate, listen to your breath, feel your breath. It's getting into your core, you know, and When I'm talking about silence, I'm talking about taking that time to really get deep into you because that's where your spirit is. And you know what? We've all experienced our spirit by that thing that I've said. Remember, Simone, I said to you, there was this knot in my stomach. There is this pit Mm. in my stomach. Yes, That knot is your soul speaking to you.
0: Yes. It has very subtle ways, like whether it's a... Uh, and it's typically a, a feeling, it and is. it's that intuition when something, just that gut feeling that something doesn't feel that right, like that's Thank your you. soul speaking with you.
1: Because, you know, the body consists of three brains. It's not just one brain up yes. here. This is the, the mind. We also have the heart, very powerful. And the other mm-hmm. one is the enteric, your gut. Your gut has got its own brain, and that's where your soul sits, right there near the solar plexus. That's very, very important. So when you go into deep silence, into meditation, you're trying to get into that core of whom you really are. You're trying to connect with the surrounding, the, the real true divine surrounding. And I honestly think, this is just me, that society has amped up all this noise Yes. to keep us away from getting to know whom we really are, and from distracted. getting us to get to our core. That's We're right. constantly bombarded with noise. We're constantly bombarded with, you know, music. And, and why, why do people turn up the, the volume? It's not because it's just, because have you ever noticed that you're listening to a radio, you turn up the volume and you're enjoying it for about five, 10 minutes, and then yes. all of a sudden you turn it down again because it <clears> just eats <throat> away at you. This noise is preventing or distracting you from getting to know whom you are. It's that that deep core that can only be accessed through, and I'm gonna say this. This is just me. The only way I access it is through breath, prayer, and trying to go deep inside myself. So this book, A Silence in the in the Age of Noise um it's really short read i often take the i've given many copies away i'll get you a copy as well and um it's a short read it's 32 little short chapters of about two or three pages each this guy was an explorer and i think he he looks like a viking even he is norwegian and the one thing that blew my mind away is he spent fifty five zero days by himself dropped off at a certain part in antarctica and basically skied pulling his tent and his food for 50 days across the antarctic continent to wherever he went to and i'm telling you one thing if there's ever a point of really getting to know silence that's when you really come to grips with whom you really are.
0: So I actually uh, signed up. So here in Ontario, there is a center for Vipassana, which is you mm-hmm. go and you do a 10-day retreat, mm-hmm, which is a mm-hmm, silent mm-hmm, retreat.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not everybody makes it because I know people that have gone there and they've quit. And when they come, they say it's actually excruciating. That's Of course. Word. that that they've used to come face to be silent and really come face to face with yourself with your thoughts which are unbearable Mm -hmm. um but i'll tell you i and and i don't know how people do it now and i know that i used to do this back in the day too i love solitude
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: love solitude being by myself to be able to go deep in my thoughts even if I'm not letting my mind go blank so that I can be in silence just to be alone and not have to interface with other energies just gives me such a sense of peace, which is mm-hmm. so welcoming and comforting. Yep. And I, that would be something that I would highly recommend to people, even if it doesn't feel comfortable in the moment, do it still
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do it.
0: And whether that means that you are going to be inside your home and you're going to read or meditate or you're going to go for a walk or you're going to go to the gym and you know put something on and just be with yourself it's highly 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 beneficial that yeah, is the but society one thing- doesn't
1: want you to do that
0: yes they want to keep you distracted but that's the one thing that i wish that somebody would have told me so my question for you was going to be, what's the best advice anyone gave you about divorce? I didn't get much advice.
1: I didn't get I'd, advice either. The only thing that I got was read the book, <laughs> read the uh, uh, A Course in Miracles,
0: because oh, that just that's put actually, me down
1: the path of, okay, I'm the one who's creating all this meaning in my life.
0: That's actually really beneficial because for me, and mm. I don't mean to go in this direction with the conversation, but this is so prevalent. I got well-meaning friends
1: mm-hmm.
0: tell me to take my ex-husband for all he's got and oh, bury course. him and revenge you know, that's revenge. right that's right exactly so th- that was the advice and i wish so desperately and i think that it's so needed now because if we can take the path of peace and The end results and the outcomes are so beneficial for everybody involved, especially when there are children in the middle. So that's the best advice that I could give anyone. Take the path of peace, be with yourself. And I know you said this as well. And if you can do Course in Miracles, I'll tell you, I have the book too. It's an extremely difficult read, but it's well worth it. And
1: it's a lesson a day for uh, 365 days. The other thing I will say is if you are angry... Who do you really hurt? Yes, you hurt yourself. yourself. The Buddhists often say anger is like a, a lump of coal. That's when you right. pick it up to throw it at somebody, who are you hurting?
0: You're burning your hands. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Or the, the, other, the other saying is it's like drinking poison wishing the other person to die. But mm. you're drinking the poison. What do you wish that you knew before you started your divorce, Nico?
1: really get to have known who Nico really was
0: Mm. yes but you were too would you say distracted I mean you you've achieved in well
1: uh, because of uh, my achievements and you know having the the upbringing that I had I was never really I never really and this is one thing that a lot of people have said to me in the past and you know I'm slowly getting better but I would achieve something, and then I'd be looking for something else to achieve, to go after, rather than sit back and say, you know what? Hey, man, you've done a lot in your life. Enjoy it.
0: Do you feel that that was a distraction, even though the achievement probably fed your soul on some level?
1: Mm, It was a way of punishing me to be better. Punishing? yes because of my dad you were never good enough
0: that's right
1: you weren't ever good enough why did i actually get into sports i used to weigh three almost 280 pounds in in junior high school people picked on me fat nick this fat nick that you know i still have stretch marks on my body and um I mean, I'm not, for what this is, I almost committed suicide at grade 10 because of constantly being uh, made fun of and being put down from, you know, your peers, not having that emotional support at home. So when I basically lost the weight and got into sports, and now I started developing this identity that I'm an athlete, what was my driving force? It wasn't like I wanted to be the best I can be. I wanted to be the best so I can show people that I made it to the Olympics and you guys can go take a flying hike.
0: Oh, my goodness. You know, So it wasn't even for your sense of achievement. It was to prove to other people.
1: Correct. So you asked me what was the most important thing for me is to really have gotten to know me. Mm. Because if I did get to know me, I don't think I would have been with Louise. I don't think I would have been attracting that type of energy Uh, in my life. Yes. I would be attracting a different type of energy. It's all about energy, energy, Simone. You know that.
0: Yes, of course. And it's an exchange. And Mm -hmm. we we attract that which we are. So on some or pieces of our dominant pieces of ourselves that need to be dealt with, Mm -hmm. we are attracted for us to be able to come face to face with them. So it's like the world or life is holding a big mirror to you to say, this is what you need to work on. Correct. So outside of the very impactful, significant things that you have mentioned of getting to know yourself, what would you say that overall you learned from your divorce, from the divorce itself?
1: That's a good question. I have no... I have no answer to that. What have I learned from the divorce itself? Um, I couldn't answer that. That's a good question.
0: <laughs> I never thought I would stump a PhD.
1: Oh, oh come on. Pizza Hut deliveries. You can stop at any time.
0: Pizza Hut delivery. We also talk pool hall diploma. <laughs> and then he said another one, which we can't say on this show. No,
1: you can't. But uh, it was like poor, hungry and desperate.
0: Oh yes and he's going to go down that path again in philosophy this time. Actually I'm I'm really interested to to discuss that with you as well Nico.
1: For sure and we will. I very but, much uh, That's a good question. What is it that I've learned through the divorce um um
0: because it is like a rite of passage, much like it is what a did rite you, of passage. It what did you learn from writing your thesis? You know that you can be dedicated, that you could be focused, that you could be consistent, that you could stay mm-hmm. in one place to really see that through to its finality in its entirety, especially because a lot of people don't have it in them to see something through. So.
1: Oh yeah, the PhDs. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a beast.
1: It's a beast, all right. You know, it's 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 the begin it. it to do a PhD for the very first time is a beast. But once you know what you're going through, the second or third or fourth are a lot easier.
0: Yes, of course. You know. Yes, of course. I mean, it's much like uh, that's exactly how I felt about pregnancy. The first time you don't know what's coming. You don't know what to expect. You don't know whether it's normal or not. You don't know whether you're supposed to be experiencing that. <laughs> but then the second time, it's like, oh, yeah, I've already been Take there, done yeah, that. Yeah, I know this. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly.
1: It's time for me to. Yeah, exactly. It's the one. What have I learned from my divorce? Wow. If I were to say something that has taken me and I'd like to tell people out there, Simone has a good relationship or has a relationship with her previous partner. I don't have that relationship with my previous partner. So it has taken me, This year, this is after seven years, but Louise and I basically worked together for 16 and we're actually been divorced for 17. So it took me this year after seven years of last talking to her to wish her a happy birthday. And it's because I think... The most important thing is I needed to forgive her to forgive me, oh wow yeah
0: that's actually that's that's very, very deep. Mm. need to forgive her to forgive you
1: mm. wow so uh,
0: I'll tell you it was an extreme it was a lot of a lot of work, even for us um, but it was very. I think that if we hadn't had children, I don't know that I would have been in the same. Like, oh, my love I can my tell children. you
1: that right now. I would yes. not have been with Louise. Not, not even, uh, even though I fell madly in love with her and stuff like this. Uh, having met her parents, her father was a lovely guy. Her mother, who's still alive, was an all right person. <laughs> um, I don't think we would have stayed together definitely not
0: i i think that it was just from post divorce for us if it hadn't been for the kids being present i don't know that i would have been so apt to forgive i probably would have forgotten and stuffed down as far deep as i can the feelings and just forget about them and move on to something but we i really had to, to yeah really but you would carry kids... those
1: with you yes. into your next relationship because they yes. do they do manifest themselves
0: they, exactly. and And this is what I say, so please um share how you feel about this because you did speak to the fact that everything is energy. When you stuff energy within your own fibers within your cells, when it's stagnant, especially if it's stagnant, because energy seeks an outlet, it seeks expression, it will
1: no, oh, it will. it'll point, s- it'll express itself as a disease.
0: That's right. And that's exactly how I feel about my stroke. It was the energy of everything that I've internalized from my, the trauma of my upbringing with my very two fucked up parents who could not find peace if that was the last thing on earth, even though they supposedly loved each other and wanted to share a life and created two children. Um, I think that that in conjunction with the anger that it caused within me that energy was seeking some sort of outlet and expression, and it found mm-hmm.
1: it. It right did. In my brain. That's right. It did, for sure.
0: Well, Dr. Apostolopoulos, thank you very much. Yes, your <laughs> For your wisdom, for your knowledge, for everything you shared, especially because you are so transparent. I greatly appreciate that. And I'm sure that I could speak on behalf of the audience. It's so important that we are authentic. And it really speaks to how humble you are.
1: Oh, you know, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a pleasure. And, you know, but honestly, people get to know yourself. If you're going through a divorce or you've been through a divorce, take that time. Uh, You know, there will always be people on the planet. Yes, there will always be. You will meet other people. But it's very, very precious that you take that time because once you get to know yourself, you start to realize whom you are, your ups and downs, and you're going to start changing that energy that you're emanating out of. That's emanating out of your body, and then you're going to find. I'm not going to say it because it's so cliche. The right person, but you will find a person that will appreciate you for whom you really are. Only if you appreciate yourself for whom you really are.
0: Yeah, that's actually the most impactful piece of advice I've heard from anybody that I've had on the show to really sit in silence and get to know yourself. Look inside and appreciate who you are as a person and forgive yourself. So it's all about the self.
1: It is. Thank this is the only much. person that you're really married to. <laughs> At you're going to take day, yourself to your grave too. That's so right. crying out loud. <laughs>
0: That's right. You come alone, you leave alone. Correct. Thank you very much, Nikos. I appreciate it. Would love to have you 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 back for some more insight and for some more wisdom that you can Thank
1: you, Simone. Likewise. Thank you. Bye. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for tuning to The Confidential. We hope you enjoyed the episode and found it interesting and informative. Please subscribe to the show to receive notifications when new episodes are released. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at The Confidential Podcast to stay up to date with all things related to the show. We appreciate your support and welcome any feedback you may have. Until next time, stay curious and keep on learning. Thank you for listening.